Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hey, this is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. This show is free, but if you want to support us, you can at patreon.com slash I Love That Movie. And my top patrons are Chris Balga, uh, Jeff Widman, and Michael Cross. Thank you guys for keeping the lights on. Uh, t- we also have a Teespring, a Discord, and a Facebook group. Uh, You can find all that information in the show notes. And that's about it. I've got a very familiar voice on the podcast. I have Scott. Say hi, Scott. Hi, Lisa. Why do I keep picking movies you haven't seen before? I don't understand. (laughs) I don't know. But but before we go into that, uh, in case someone hasn't heard you on the show before, which... I really feel like that's impossible at this point because <laughs> we've you've been on so many times and you've done such great episodes. But if someone hasn't heard you before, why don't you introduce yourself real quick? Well, I am the co-founder of Squadcast Media Network, a podcasting network devoted mainly to DC. But we also have you know various. We have a Marvel show and a and a general geek show these days and i am the co-host of the dc (laughs) film squadcast the main show where we talk about dc film news and such so that's my wheelhouse that's awesome i listened to your episode i don't know if it was the very most recent one it might have been the second to one where you kind you kind of were doing the quarantine chat oh yes yes left hand meets right hand yeah (laughs) i really liked that episode um i always love hearing about your day-to-day lives and things in addition to the content. It just adds something special. So it's like, that was fun to listen well, to. Well, we, we've been doing that. that consistently since the shelter-in-place stuff started. And what... Oh, gosh. And it's been on Patreon. It's been like a little Patreon exclusive for us because we, yeah, we have a Patreon remember, as well. Yeah, I mentioning that. And then when we decided to do the show, we were like... Because we kind of have a requirement to ourselves that we'd like to have at least a 30-minute show. And we were like, we ain't got 30 sure. minutes worth of news. <laughs> so it's like... Yeah, there's just nothing happening. I mean, literally, like, who could have predicted what's going on right now? No. So basically, we're like, half the show is, is going to be quarantine talk for the week. And we're just going to make it available to everybody. <laughs> I feel like you'll you'll have more to talk about next week. I feel like there's been more in the news uh- I don't follow it as closely, to be honest. Like, I typically just waited for your show because I, I just, there's so many articles that come out and it's exhausting to look through all of them. So that's a tip for you guys out there. If you're interested in DC film news, it's a lot easier to just listen to a podcast where somebody's weeded through all that nonsense. Oh, and there's a lot of nonsense. <laughs> than it is there's to a read lot up of on nonsense. It. There is a lot. Of, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. So I appreciate that. Uh, but, th- but now you're on this show. So. 
Scott, my guest always picks the movie. What what movie did you select this week? Oh, once again, I am so great for picking movies that Lisa has never seen and probably ever heard of before. <laughs> but I went with the 1989 cult classic, The Wizard, starring Fred Savage, Bo Bridges, Christian Slater, and so many other people from the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, so I do want to say I have seen, I remember when I used to go to like Blockbuster, I remember seeing the cover of this. Uh, Every time I was there, I remember seeing it advertised, but no, I never saw it. And I don't know why, like, I mean, I loved, you know, my Nintendo. Um, I had like the... I know there's, like, all these different names for all of them, but I had, like, the original yeah, one. Yeah, the original NES. Yep. Uh, that, that came with, like, yeah, yes, NES. They had, like, Duck Hunter and all that stuff. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and um, I don't think that I got the next one, which was, like, Super Nintendo. the better yeah. one, Nintendo. Super Nintendo, yeah. I had friends that had that, but I never personally had it. I think I, I went the Sega Genesis route at that <gasps> oh, time. Oh, um, how dare but... you, Lisa. <laughs> I know I'm so unforgivable, but but for some reason I I just had this feeling that I wouldn't like the movie, and I can't explain my kid logic with that. It doesn't really make sense because I love Fred Savage. I watched The Wonder Years all the time as a kid, um, which I think he's is he is he's a little bit older in The Wonder Years than in this movie, right? Is this before? No, the no, no. Years, this is my this just, is my memory of this him is, is during Wonder Years, which is why he gets top billing in okay. this movie. I mean, you get people like Bo Bridges and Christian Slater in this movie, but Fred Savage is top billing, and it's because it was coming out during like the height of the Wonder Years. Okay, I remember. I like when I think about when the Wonder Years came out and how old I must have been. He seemed a lot older to me <laughs> than he does in this movie. And I think that might have just be, been because I was a kid. So that makes sense why he seemed older in that show than in this movie. That wasn't how it actually was, but that just says how young I was watching it. Um, yeah, he was huge then when this came out. Um, he was a big deal. And yeah, I don't know. I never saw it. But looking at like the people that are in it, it seems like something I would have seen. So I don't know why that happened. Uh but, but how did you first see this? Uh, okay. I do not endorse what I'm about to admit to. But, oh, uh, no. yes. <laughs> uh, we we oh, all dear. had that family member who had the two VCR set up and would rent movies from oh. <laughs> a certain video chain. My dad did this. I am going to call him out. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I had I had an aunt who went to movie gallery on a regular basis and would would do like the whole thing where she would set the record speed to like LP or ELP to get like two or three movies onto one VHS tape. And, uh, Oh my gosh. Okay. So she's like running a business. It's different than, no. okay. It's different than what I was thinking. No, Go she ahead. wasn't running a business. This was just for, you know, for, for, for personal collection. Like, but you know, when you had VHS tapes, oh. it was, well, you don't want to have a lot of VHS tapes. So you just shoved as many movies on one VHS tape as you as you could. And I see. And so okay. I didn't get to see this movie in theaters and I was, and I'm not surprised because I didn't go to the movie. I didn't get to go to the movies a lot when I was a kid because my parents didn't think it was a, you know, a good use of money. 
And I also looked up and realized this was like a holiday season release. This was this movie came out. I actually looked this up. Uh, this movie came out December fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine. Which there was no way my parents were ta- were mm-hmm. going to the movies during you know Christmas time. That's kind of the same reason I didn't see Mask of the Phantasm. Right. You know, so <laughs> so I saw this. I saw this movie after it had come out on home video, and. So, but I, I remember it because it was also part of the, and we'll get into this in trivia, but it was also part of the buildup to the release of Super Mario Brothers 3, which was, for anyone who had, who was a... Yes, I could tell that from watching the movie. <laughs> there... <laughs> and I remember playing that game a lot. Like, I remember playing oh, it. Oh, man. But that was part of the buildup, because I remember w- when Super Mario Brothers 3 was coming out, anyone who had an original NES and was a Mario Brothers fan, we were like... The hype was real in 89 and 90 for the release of that game. And this movie was just feeding into that. (laughs) Man, it's so weird that I missed that. I don't know. Um, But I will say I was looking at synopsis of the movie and there were a lot of bad ones. I'm not surprised. So I'm just going to read a sentence. (laughs) Uh, this, the, the whole synopsis I have is that a boy and his brother run away from home and hitch cross country with the help of a girl they meet to compete in the ultimate video game championship. And I want to say right off the bat that this movie, the plot of this movie is not what I thought it was going to be about at all. Like just based on the cover and I think even some of the trailers, I was expecting a different movie than what i saw do do does that surprise you Uh, well based based on the (laughs) cover art the original poster art i'm not surprised you had a different impression but i am kind of curious what did you what did you envision you're going to get yourself into watching this movie i am morbidly curious this this is such a weird thing that happened it's just i've seen the cover of this movie so many times i've heard people reference it so many times I've never read the summary and I haven't seen it, but I made up a different movie. And the movie that I made up in my head was that Fred Savage is the wizard and that the majority of the movie was going to be at that tournament. And I think that might have been why, as a kid, I was like, eh, I don't want to see it. And that's just what I thought it was going to be about. So when I watched it and it's like mostly a road trip movie, they don't actually get there to the very end. I just think that's so interesting that it it was so different from what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, it's it, and we'll 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 get into this later on. But it is interesting how much there is a story in this movie, which for a, for yeah, a, it gets dark. Yeah, it, and and for a movie, <laughs> it goes to dark places. And for a movie that was really developed as a giant commercial for Nintendo, they actually right. try to do something. <laughs> genuine with it and i kind of have to give them credit for that Mm -hmm. yeah i i was just surprised by the uh by the plot but um let me read my couple of quick facts so that we can get to yours because i know you said you had a lot of notes so i'm gonna read a couple of mine and then we'll go to yours as well does that work Uh, absolutely okay well the first one that i have is that bo bridges and christian slater both admitted they had little to no interest in video games when they were cast. Uh, they played during filming and became fans. That's fun. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw Christian Slater, because I again I didn't look up like 
you know, who all was in it. I just popped it in, press play. That's not true. I rented it on iTunes, but you know what I mean? I'm going with the analogy because we're pretending that I had a VHS tape to watch this on. But um, I I was surprised to see Christian Slater and I was surprised to see him that young. Like, I was like, whoa, this is like, you know, poster on the wall, Christian Slater. This is a while ago. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Like Tiger Beat, you know? <laughs> I was like, whoa, it was just it was just crazy. But yeah, the fact that he wasn't a fan seems weird now because I don't feel like there's... I, I mean, may, maybe this is a generalization, but I feel like there's not a whole lot of, like, guy actors, maybe even female actresses as well, but there's not a lot of people that haven't played games. But when this came out, I mean, you know... That was very possible, especially depending on what age you are. You're like, oh, I'm just not into this, you know? So I, I just thought that was such an interesting Well, then, and you got to think the original Nintendo system had only been out for about three years at the time that this movie came out. That's probably weird to think about as a kid, though, because if you're a kid, that, that could be like half your life. Oh, no. It... <laughs> you're like, NES is so important, you know? Oh, no. At the time this movie came out, it was almost half my lifetime that that game system had been around <laughs> right it just feels like it's been out since forever um i have a really random side tangent i want to say that i thought about watch when i was watching this movie i had an nes and then at some point i decided to let it go i, I don't know what happened exactly but i gave it away and and then, like, several years went by, and I missed it. Uh, you know, I was like, oh, I wish, you know, there's all these new ones out, but I wish I had that NES. I really love that thing. Uh, and then I was at a garage sale, and somebody was selling an NES and, like, 20 games for, like, nothing. Just sitting out there, you know, at this garage sale. And my dad bought it for me, and I had way more games than I had ever had and it was amazing <laughs> it felt so good and that whoever the parent was that did that really should not have done that they should have resold that because it really should have gone for a lot more than what I paid for it but I got to play a lot more games because of that it might have actually been how I played Super Mario Brothers 3 because I'm pretty sure that that game was included in this big set oh, that and, I oh if it was if it, if it was anybody I don't know someone who had an NES who didn't have Super Mario Brothers 3. I remember begging my parents, 20 feet away, I still have my NES. There's a box I'm, that I'm that I'm staring at. <laughs> that's awesome. I have a Game Boy somewhere. That's that's the oldest thing that I have. I can't get rid of it. It still has the Kirby game oh, in no there. Oh, should you. And I'll never let it go. But, um, but yeah. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, so the uh, the second uh, fact that I had on here that I feel like if you're of a certain age, you already knew this, but uh, the dinosaurs in the film are a real-life tourist attraction that was once the Wheel Inn restaurant in uh, Cabazon, California, near Palm Springs, and they also appeared in Pee-wee's Big Adventure in 1985 and in the music video for Night Ranger, Sing Me Away, wow. 1983. Wow, there's an entire generation that knows exactly what you just said. <laughs> I know, but then I was thinking that, like, when I saw that and then I read this fact, I'm like, well, duh, everybody knows that. But then as as we're talking about it, I'm like, oh, well, not everybody has even seen that those things, you know, Pee-wee's Big Adventure or, you know, this music video. It's like, wow, that is really, uh, that's really over. I, I, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I love 
crappy like roadside attractions. Well, is, and, like, and my that's favorite. and that's one of those hallmarks of a road movie is those kind of things. And I'll tell you, there's a there's a dinosaur park in southern Kentucky, and every time we pass it, when I go to visit my sister, I love it because I think of this movie. Because that's what I think of is the dinosaur park at the end. And it's just it, – it's amazing how this movie just like has made such an impression on my mind because I I have seen it since I was eight years old. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I I agree. Like that's something – I don't know. Like do people stop at all these little rest stops along the way um, – not rest stops, but I guess side attractions or whatever along the way anymore. I, I don't know. I feel like that's like an older thing that we don't do as much anymore. Although the last time I went on a road trip, I did stop at like a little museum. I think it was uh, the Billy the Kid Museum, but it's just not something everybody does anymore. So it, it feels it feels like a time capsule a little bit. I mean, this whole movie does. It's very 80s, <laughs> but very. That, that, that particularly, yeah. Uh, I also had that the original pitch for this movie was The Karate Kid, but with video games. Oh, I had a different pitch, actually. <laughs> oh, in my go trivia. for it. <laughs> my pitch was, uh, let's see, do, 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 because, I, oh, here it is. So Tom Pollock of Universal Studios approached Nintendo wanting to make a video game film that was inspired by their video game competitions, and he envisioned it as a video game version of Tommy for younger audiences. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's pretty funny. Well, because, see, the Tommy reference makes a lot more sense to me. Oh, yeah, because there's, you, like, actually a road trip. <laughs> well, because there's actually a road trip. Well, and you've got the handicapped protagonist who becomes, like, a prodigy at, you know, because, oh, you know, that's Tommy's. Because you got the deaf, dumb, and blind kid sure plays a mean pin. Bah, 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 Man, bah. I haven't seen that movie in so long. Oh. I actually have never seen the movie. I only play really? the who. I only play the original rock opera album that The Who put out first. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Pinball Wizard was like my jam. <laughs> so nice. I'm such a nerd. <laughs> so when I when I read that, I was like, oh, I totally get that. I, I, I was like, I get what this is saying. Because, yeah. you know, the, the boy, and I cannot realize that I'm forgetting the char- character's name. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy. Yeah, that Jimmy is basically Tommy. And that makes okay. complete sense to me. Nice. Okay. That was going to be one of my questions about this concept of the wizard. I'm like, that was already a thing? It's like the movie was like, he's a wizard. And and I was like, okay. Like, I've never heard a kid say that about another kid that plays video games. Was that like already a, a concept? Well, if you've got the song Pinball Wizard, it kind of already is. And at the time this movie was made, it's closer to, I mean, it's not that close, but it's closer to, you know, when The Who would have put out that album. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Well, did you have other quick facts you wanted to throw in before we dove into the movie? Yes, I did. Um, this This movie was shot in two months. Uh, shooting <laughs> took place between, I uh, know, right? <laughs> shooting took place between June 5th and July 25th of 1989, and then it came out December of the same year. Wow, that's quick. Um, also, would have been really hot. Yes. Because yes, it was it filmed in, been. like, Nevada, right? 
like Utah, Nevada. Nevada, and California. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the movie was made for six million dollars, and made a fourteen point three million dollar box office. So it wow. more than doubled its production budget. I I think Critics at that time, hated it. yeah. Yes, I noticed that right away when I looked up this movie, and I was like, oh boy. And then somebody commented that too, I think in the group, they were like, I'm looking forward to this because I know you guys aren't going to rip it apart. And I was like, yeah, we, we will not do that. Um, but it's always interesting to see, I was going to make a comparison for you that, you know, how you feel about this movie is probably a lot like how I feel about like Hook, you know, to me, I Hook love is- Hook. I do. Okay, good. Um, A lot of people really hate it. And it's got awful reviews and people say it's really bad. And I can't even hear that. Like, I can't even hear you. You know, it's impossible for me to put myself in the headspace of that being a bad movie. Even I've read all the arguments about it um, and I disagree. And so I do think sometimes, you know, when you see a movie in a certain phase of your life, I mean, you just love that movie and there's nothing that anyone else can say to change your mind. And I think sometimes critics sort of aren't able to tap into that, especially with children. You know, what you attach to as a child is going to be different from as an adult, yet it's reviewed like an adult movie. So do you think that's part of why uh, people don't, you know, especially like in the, in the movie, the dad, there's a scene where the dad's like, Oh, you like these stupid video games. I hate this. Um, and I feel like that was an attitude a lot of older people had at that time about video games, which feels weird now because now we have video games on our phone and they're everywhere and everyone knows what they are. Uh, but back then, you know, there, there would be a big disconnect between possibly the person writing the review and a whole generation of people our age that were growing up with video games. So it's impossible for them to like understand how much kids love them and what a big deal they would be, how they could drive a movie. Um, so I was, I was thinking about that as I read the reviews. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. This movie is not for adults. This movie is for <laughs> yeah. kids. Let's, let's yeah, be honest yeah. about this. I mean, and I can, I can stand back and I can completely understand why someone thinks this movie is terrible. I just don't happen to be one of them. But I also, but this movie also transports me back to when I was eight years old and people go, well, that's just nostalgia. Sure it is. Yeah, it's like people Mm -hmm. really dismiss nostalgia for some reason, even though we all relate to it, even though it's a pretty positive emotion. um, We all act like it's bad somehow. It's like become cool to say how bad it is. And it's like, you know, if you're trying to say that you're unbiased, I don't think that's even true. So I, I if nostalgia colors my view of this movie, that that's okay. It just enhances the viewing experience for me. I, I just think it's weird that we act like that's a bad thing. Yeah. And as we already hinted at earlier, this film was touted. Technically, it wasn't true because you had gamer magazines. But the but I guess for the general audience, this movie was the first public reveal in North America of Super Mario Brothers three, because like I mentioned before, the movie came out December 15th of 1989 and the North American Mm -hmm. release of Super Mario Brothers three was February 12th, 1990. So it was three months before uh, Super Mario Brothers three hit the shelves. It It must have been a good game in 1988. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, it must have been a good game because 
when they played footage of it, I was like, I do remember this game and I did play it. Whereas I didn't feel that way about a whole lot of it. I think watching all the games they played, I remembered Ninja Gaiden and this game. And I think that was it. Nick recognized, I can't remember what it was called, but in Japan it was called Doki Doki Panic. And it was one of the Mario games. It was like really fast. Uh, I don't remember what oh, that it, was Oh, it's Super called. Mario Brothers 2. Yeah, yeah. And I think in Japan it was called like Doki Doki Panic. Like Doki Doki meaning like your heart beating. Um, yeah. And that just didn't translate in America. So they changed the name. Um, but yeah, like I, I actually recognize the footage from that game. So it's like, oh yeah, it must have been a big deal <laughs> for me to oh, remember Oh, it that. was. Oh, it was. I will t- and, and once again, <laughs> that's part of what connects this movie is just I, I, I can actually remember the day my dad came home with Super Mario Brothers 3. Like I've been begging and begging and begging. And I remember the day he parked his car in the garage and handed it to me and I flipped out. And Aww. so it's once again, it's the, it's the weird little things. You know, you've been doing you've been doing this series of movies about movies that make us happy. Yeah. And that's part of what makes us, this that's what part of this movie that makes me so happy is oh man you know what it was like to be 8 playing a Mario Brothers game and yeah. you know it's that's part of what just still even today watching the movie was like oh I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's a lot of good memories I have attached to games. I remember getting my NES on Christmas and you know, playing that a whole lot. And I remember when I got my Sega Genesis, when I got my PlayStation, um, and those were good times. It, it really, especially since I was an only child, it, it definitely ate up a lot of hours of my day. So, uh, yeah, I mean, th- that it, it definitely, something like this would associate me with good memories probably had I seen it. I don't, again, it's mm. weird. I don't know how I missed it. Yeah. The last thing that I, I would like to say, and then we can get into talking about the movie, is uh, the director, uh, Todd Holland, revealed in, in a 2008 reunion and in an interview in 2014 that the original cut of this film was two and a half hours long. And it had an extended backstory for Jimmy and Corey. Now, the interesting thing mm-hmm. about that was on the brand new Blu-ray release from Shout Factory that just came out in March, which is kind of the reason we're watching this movie now because I bought that. And today was the day <laughs> that I opened my Blu-ray to watch the movie for to be on the podcast. All that deleted material is now a special feature on this new Blu-ray release. So I got to see this extended backstory that they're talking about. And it's okay. all this stuff that happens before the movie actually, st- like where the movie starts, the movie we actually saw starts. There's like another 20 minutes of deleted scenes that take place either before it or immediately after it. That's mm. all about setting up the family and what the family drama is. Yeah, you know, that is something that watching the movie felt a little unclear to me. The dynamics between everybody um, felt weird. I was like, it it did feel like something was missing a little bit. And I'll tell you, though, after watching the deleted scenes, I'm glad they weren't there. Like, (laughs) I think it would have made the movie too dark, like too sad. If it's too much drama. Absolutely, because there was there was actually about thirty seven minutes of deleted scenes, and I feel oh, like gosh. the movie runs at about an hour and forty minutes, and I feel like it's just like it's just long enough for what it's trying to do. 
Well, I think children's movies generally need to be an hour, an hour and a half, I feel like, because <laughs> sometimes they can run a little too long. And I just, I just feel like that's a sweet spot. Like that's, that's a good runtime. Yeah. So that, those are, those are just some of the little interesting trivia facts. Like I said, the, the Blu-ray release has some really cool stuff that I'm looking forward to digging into because it's got a commentary track with the director. There's oh, cool. a, there's a retrospective, uh, a brand with brand new interviews from Fred Savage and Luke Edwards, the actor who played Jimmy and then there's a featurette called How Can I Help You? Confessions of a Gameplay Counselor. Because that scene <laughs> where Haley calls the Nintendo Gameplay Counselor. No, those were real things. That was something that, wow. that, that was a thing that existed. You could call, I think it was like a 900 number. And you could get someone who would talk you through a part of a game that had you stuck. I bet that was very expensive because I remember as a kid, there were all these hotlines that all these companies were trying to get you to call all the time. They'd be like, ask parents for permission, but call this number. Do you remember that kind of stuff? Yes, absolutely. Because that was making money. That was yeah. exactly the point. So I, I can't wait to watch this because I just I just laughed when they cut to that scene in the movie. I was like, oh, yeah, these were a thing back then. Right. I remember my dad always being like, do not call that number. <laughs> like, he was like, do not do it. And it's like, as a kid, you're so tempted. Uh, the o the other one that I'm really looking forward to is there's a clinical analysis of the wizard. Dr. Oh, Andrea wow. Letamendi. Uh, yeah, Dr. Andrea Letamendi, who uh, does the podcast, The Arkham Sessions. She's a clinical uh -huh. psychologist, and she's actually the partner of uh, Brian Ward, who runs a lot of you know who's basically in charge of the development of these shout releases and okay. she actually does a clinical psychologist analysis of jimmy like oh, does he yeah. you know we can acknowledge his ptsd but is he on the spectrum like she tries to i wondered using about that. just yeah. what's in the movie she has a whole feature where she tries to analyze jimmy based on his qualities because i wouldn't even know, known what the autism spectrum was back when I was a kid and watched this movie. Oh, yeah. I don't think most can... people would have. But there's a case to be made for that. But obviously, there's some PTSD involved, too, with his backstory. So I'm really looking sure. forward to watching that special because she's not one of those pops. Like, like she's she's legit. She works with, like, veterans and stuff. So <laughs> oh, this, is, cool. this is not a hack need. This is not a hack job you're going to be watching. So I'm looking forward to yeah. that. Yeah, I actually, when you say that, I did think about that a little bit watching the movie. I was like, well, I just wondered, like, why would he need to be in, like, this special home? I get that he's having, you know, what they're perceiving as behavioral issues, but nothing bad enough to, like, separate him completely from his family. I guess just because he keeps running away. Like, that part of the movie felt very, like, different from now. You know, I don't think anybody would put their child somewhere else because they're behaving quote-unquote strangely like that felt well but to I, me. well i think but i think that's a peer i think that's also a product of its time like yeah yeah that's what i'm saying like i feel to, like that would be so different now oh no absolutely you know this is you know you would think of institutions like that like assisted living for adults with special needs but you wouldn't sure. think about putting uh a seven eight-year-old boy who is just quiet and disconnected in a in a home like that that yeah doesn't that wouldn't jive. happen now 
<laughs> no, no. <laughs> that's so, but it, yeah, yeah, it is interesting. It's like, oh yeah, that's the 80s. And yeah, like I think when we were growing up, you know, we heard a lot about like orphanages and things like that, that things that don't really like we've really gotten away from stuff like that. So it's like when you see it in a movie, you're like, wow, this puts it in that specific time and place. Absolutely. So, but yeah. So you want to talk about the movie? It's, it's sure. Like the yeah, let's talk movie. about your favorite scenes. We are in that unique position of I've only seen it this one time. So I'm probably going to lean on you heavier uh, in terms of telling me about your favorite scene. So go ahead. <laughs> oh, well, I first thing, not even just my favorite scenes, but I this movie is just so 80s. But yet I want to call it the 80s. fact. <laughs> But I also want to call it the fact that at least for the most part, with some notable exceptions, at least the clothes didn't scream the 80s. Like the clothes and the hair, you know, except for a few, a couple of really it was the, fe- the, the female character's hair. Like oh, yeah. Fred Savage and Jimmy and Bo Bridges and Christian Slater, like what they're wearing, you know, it wasn't terribly 80s. It, like you didn't get the 80s until you got like the cool kids like Lucas. Lucas totally was rocking that 80s jacket with, like, the rolled-up cuffs. And, I kind of liked hair. it, though. I kind of liked his jacket. I was like, I kind of want that jacket now. Um, I also thought the girl character, I liked her style. <laughs> it did look really 80s, but I guess maybe I'm just into that. I loved, like, the high-waisted pants. The dress with the jeans, that was a big thing. Um, oh, yeah. The floral print on the dress, like, that yes. screamed late 80s, early 90s to me. Yes. Uh, which, by the way, um, I'm not sure if you knew this, but the actress who plays Haley, Ginny uh, oh, Lewis, she was mm-hmm. the front woman for Rilo Kylie. Wow. Yeah, I, I think I ran across that in the in reading about it, but no, I did not know that watching it for sure. I, I didn't know that. I was like, wait a minute, I have Rilo Kylie al- <laughs> albums. This is kind of <laughs> awesome. That, it's great when you make a connection like that that you haven't known before, and you're like, "Oh, small world." Oh yeah, uh, there are there are there's stuff that I didn't recognize that was in this movie, like the new kids on the block playing in the background in one scene. That was Man. the right stuff was playing, and I was like, "Oh my god, there's new kids on the block." <laughs> <laughs> that is such a throwback. I remember as a kid, like all my friends being really into the new kids on the block and me sort of pretending I was too, just to fit in. I'm like, yes, I'm very into boy bands uh, at six years old or whatever it was. Oh, my God. And then, of course, you know, because you mentioned that this was such a road movie, I was thinking about that montage when they're traveling and it's playing, mm-hmm. send me an angel. I love that part. <laughs> That's such a great song. <laughs> Oh my god, that was the scene that goes, this is a road movie, and this song is so 80s, I love this. Because that song, I have always, like, that song is, like, stuck in my brain because of that montage. And I always think about, like, the spider BMW, or the the roadside carnival they pass by. And, 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 like, when you were talking about those roadside attractions, like, that's when you get... Like the the homage to roadside attractions is during that little traveling montage in the middle of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was thinking too. There's like a weird through line in the past couple of weeks of my podcast. Like Chris Balga picked uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, and then last week uh, Samantha and Sarah picked you know Tu Wong Fu. Um, and that's a road movie that had Robin Williams in it. And then you pick this movie, The Wizard, that's also a road movie. 
And so we love road. What is it about road movies that make us happy? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. There's got to be something like that. It's like Robin Williams, happiness, road movies. It's it's, it's all kind of coming together. And I think we're all kind of in similar age groups too, <laughs> so that could have oh, something yeah. to do with it as well. But um, yeah, no, I agree. I think well, something you brought up earlier was, I mean, I don't know if I have, quote, favorite scenes. I just have elements about this movie that I enjoy so much. Like you were mentioning the games, uh, how the, a lot of them didn't stick out to you. But it was funny for me. It was like I was one of those guys who every time a game came on the screen, nine times out of ten, without them telling me what it was, I could tell you what the game was. Because it was like <laughs> double. I saw Double Dragon, Ninja oh, yeah. Gaiden. Super Mario Brothers 2. I had that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Metroid. <laughs> uh, I saw Zelda Zelda 2 at one point. Mega Man 2 is in there. So it's just like I'm sitting there going, I either played or owned all these games. Contra. I saw Contra in there. It's just like, I know these <laughs> games. There was a Dune Buggy game at one point in the in the in the montage. Uh, where they're playing all the video games at the Reno Casino and Haley's talking to the gameplay counselor. And I was, yeah. which that's the funny thing about this movie. And like, even as a kid, you know how, you know, some people love to like nitpick a movie apart and go, well, actually, like <laughs> that one happened. What I didn't understand was how all these Nintendo games were in arcade cabinets. I'm like, <laughs> I never remember any of these games being, quote, arcade games. They were on the NES that you played at home. You couldn't go to an arcade and play these games, or at least not the arcades I was going to. So that's I, a good I, that's point. Always, ever since I was eight years old, that's always kind of bugged me. It was like, wait a minute. that You didn't play that in an arcade. That was something you played at home. I don't understand. <laughs> It does speak to a time, too, though, where, you know, every single bar or restaurant you went into had cabinets. Like, yes. That was a thing everywhere you went. You know, kids could be like, I'm going to go play this really overly priced game in this corner um, while you guys eat. And I did that quite a bit as a kid. It, it really guided what restaurants we went to. You know, Pizza Hut stands out as uh, a place that always had the, my favorite cabinet type was a where it's not a cabinet, but it's like a table. Those are my favorite kind of setups. <laughs> See, I never had the table set up. So, like, when he's playing Ninja Gaiden in, the in like, the diner, which is where the new uh -huh. kids on the block was playing, I always looked at that going, what? What is this black magic you speak <laughs> of? What is I never had that. I had the ones that, like, you'd go to the little, like, we had an ice cream place called Dairy Cream, you know, really oh, close to copyright. Skating yes. mm -hmm. just under the radar, yeah. Exactly. And that had, like, the Mrs. Pac-Man, or I remember the arcade version of Ninja Gaiden that was very different from the Nintendo version. Or, like, but, yeah, but you're right. It was basically, like, the, you know, the way that, I'm a parent, I'll admit to it, you bring the pad <laughs> with you sometimes to go, just give me five minutes. Give me yeah. five minutes where I can eat my food. <laughs> You know, instead of having the Kindle or the iPad or the phone that the kid can play at the table, it was, here's some quarters, go over. Yep. It was almost even better. It was like, go over there and go <laughs> play your game. Let mommy and yeah. daddy eat. <laughs> I used to stay over at a friend's house during the summer a lot, and her mom took us to this place called Nickel Mania, and it was a giant arcade setup that was nothing but games that only cost a nickel, and I think it still existed until very recently. 
Um, but yeah, she was like, we can't afford those expensive highfalutin games. So like, I'm going to take you to Nickel Mania. And they were like crappy games. But, and you could tell as a kid, you were like, these aren't the good ones. But, uh, you know, they were nickel. So that's what we got to play. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I, and I know it's weird. I feel like, and I think this speaks to why I love this movie so much. You notice that I'm not really talking about the movie itself. <laughs> but I'm kind of talking about the things that are in the movie and the memories that I have associated with the movie, which I think is why I love this movie so much. Yeah, it's, it just it, connects it, you to a time and place. Yeah, and I think there's room for that in movies that you love. Yeah, the movie's not that great, but by God, do I feel good watching it. Right. No, no, I agree with you. I mean, and and I feel guilty almost for just bringing up things that I remember about video games. But I think you're absolutely right. It's just 1989 was just such a big time for a lot of these things. And it just connects you back to your childhood because you were a child then. Right. And then and then you watch the adults. You know, we were having a conversation on Twitter last night when you were watching the movie (laughs) and. I loved it watching how many people jumped in and started talking about this movie. Because this is one of those yeah. movies that when other people admit to either A, seeing it, or B, also enjoying it, it's one of those that go, oh, you've seen it too? <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like, I don't, I actually don't expect people to know this movie. And when okay. other people jump in and you start having conversations, it's like, oh, gee whiz, <laughs> you did yeah, too? I- I did chuckle a little bit about the 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 kid logic of like being afraid of this kid private eye guy that like, you know, he's so evil. Like he tells the dad, like, I'm going to find him first and don't try to find the kid I'm looking for. And like as an adult, you're like, this is horrible. Like that would not happen. But it's so funny because when you're a kid, it's it's sort of like the bad guys are acting like what you perceive adults to be like instead of, you know, how they actually are. Like, I think uh, somebody mentioned that, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was really afraid of dog catchers because I really thought they were out there to punish all these dogs that were running around because of like Oliver and Company and other movies like that, that, you know. The, the, the adults are always the bad guys, and their motives are not unclear. It's very transparent. They are out there to get you, and so that's definitely present in this movie, but it makes me laugh because I think most kids' stuff is it's like that. Parents are, you know, adults and parents are dumb and the bad guy, and kids are, you know, smart, in charge, and know what to do. Well, and it's also interesting logic in this movie because you needed Putnam, who was the the... P.I. bounty hunter. We know he, he acts more like a bounty hunter than he acts like a P.I. to be honest with you. He does. And, and one of the descriptions did call him a bounty hunter. And I'm like, I don't think there's child bounty hunters, but that does seem closer to what he is. <laughs> right. But I feel like the the movie needed him to be the bad guy, to be the antagonist. Oh, for sure. So so the dad and the older brother you know, Bo Bridges and Christian Slater, them going after the kids, we don't want to perceive them trying to find the runaway kids as a bad thing. But right, we right. can but we can accept this jerk of a bounty hunter who's only doing it for the money as a bad guy. I was gonna say I would argue the real bad guys are the the parents that hired that dude. Yeah, which is really interesting because until I was an adult, I couldn't follow the family dynamics as a right, kid. Right, they're weird. And like, 
it's just strange. I guess the mom entered into this new relationship and she really lets that the guy that she's with now, like, make all the decisions about her son, which felt very uncomfortable. But I guess that does kind of speak to the sort of blended family dynamic concerns that come up sometimes in blended marriages. But it was not okay. Like, she should have said no to that, <laughs> like, right yeah. away. Felt Which weird. is funny because he gets kind of redeemed at the end. Like he's yeah, less he of a like he's less of a jerk at the end than he is at the beginning. Because something I didn't follow was that 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 wife was not the mother of Corey and Nick. I never caught that as a kid. It, she was Jimmy and Jennifer's mom because she right. was already Bo Bridges' second wife. Because mm-hmm. and, and that and I didn't even realize that because you know Corey for its average care talks about the fact that Jimmy, you know when he's when he's like shaming Nick says well you don't care because he's just our half brother, and I was like what, and then and then I realized oh Nick and Corey had a, one mother Jimmy and Jennifer had this mom and now she's remarried and Bo Bridges is still single. That added a whole level of complexity that, as an eight-year-old, went right over me. Yeah. Well, I feel like, too, like, at the time, um, this concept of half-brother, half-sister, I feel like we've tried to kind of get away from that a little bit, like those labels, and just call someone your brother or sister. But I feel maybe more in that time, it was more of a separation like that. But it also makes sense that after, you know, she lost a child that they would split because that actually does happen a lot. Um, and that is complicated when, you know, people are in a relationship and there's a child loss. A lot of times they do split. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, this plot and was, goes in a couple dark places, so. <laughs> yeah. And in the deleted scenes, there's a lot more development about how Christian Slater's character feels, how he never felt accepted by his new mom. So that kind of yeah. feeds into kind of his animosity is that he he gets the feeling that she only ever cared about Jimmy and Jennifer. And so, I mean, while the deleted scenes didn't like I don't feel like I feel like they would have interrupted the flow of the movie that we got. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's occasional moments you just go, oh, well, that actually kind of makes sense, though. And I like I said, yeah. totally didn't know that until I saw the movie today. Yeah, I I guess like as an adult watching it, I did I did pick up on that. I was like, you know, Christian Slater's character's so much older than Corey, um, and so it would make sense that he felt more connected to that that uh, second wife, I guess, than than Christian Slater did. So he's kind of like, well, let's just move away from this tragedy. And you know, Fred Savage's character is like, he's our brother, and. Um, I kind of got the sense of that without all that backstory. So I, I agree with you that it probably would interrupt the flow of the movie. Um, if you're a fan, you probably want to go back and see all that stuff for sure. Oh, yeah. It, it makes good supplemental material. But yeah. I, I actually don't want it in the movie proper. I it, it would make the movie too long. And when I watch that, that's great if you want a movie for like adults. That is not what yeah. you want when you want a movie for kids. I know. It's already sad enough that there's a child death that's referenced. You know, you don't want to go on too long down that road, I think. Right. I'm kind of curious because I did want to ask you. I mean, I this is not the happy part to talk about the movie, but I am kind of <laughs> curious okay. about your reaction to 
The fact that the movie actually makes it a mystery. Like, Jennifer only gets mentioned a couple of times in passing before you even find out, A, who Jennifer is, and B, what happened to her. And then that kind of reveals a little bit about why Jimmy is the way he is. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, as I, once again, pick a movie you've only seen one time. Um, <laughs> what was your reaction to that arc of finding out about the tra- the family tragedy and then how it plays through the movie and resolves itself at the end? I thought that part was okay. I, uh, I assumed that there had been a death. I thought the only thing that I could think of that would you know, traumatize a child into not speaking, in my mind, was that some they had witnessed something horrific, a car wreck or something very sad. And at first I thought we were going to find out, you know, that his mother had died or something like that. And, um, and then, you know, it's revealed that he had a twin sister. And I thought that made a lot of sense and I thought that worked. I will say later when we find out more about the girl character, um... What was her name again? Haley. Uh, Haley. I thought, you know what? They need to be careful with adding too many sad backstories. Um, I think, you know, that this kid's main backstory, um, Jimmy, is is fine and it's good, but it's almost undercut by her sad backstory, too. Like, I was like, you don't want to have too many of those. So I thought they got mm-hmm. kind of close to almost at that danger zone of having too many sad Saturday special type backgrounds. But I think they did a good job of not going all the way with that. But I started to sense like maybe in rewrites and reworking the script, it's like, okay, you don't need this much backstory. Just be careful about how much you give to each character because you're making it these characters a little too tragic if you do that. Oh, yeah. Oh, But I also thought Haley was just kind of like your cliche tropey you know, the, these 80s kids movies has to have like the one wisecracking street smart kid. And that, I yeah. felt like that's what Haley was. Now, once again, things you don't pick up on as an eight-year-old that you pick up on as an adult going, oh, your mom had a gambling addiction. That's what's going yeah, on with you. Yeah, like she was a performer in air quotes and had gambling problems. I'm like, oh, that's where I was like, okay, be careful here. Dicey territory. <laughs> but I think that they did a good job of not going too far with that. But I agree with you. That's definitely like an 80s trope of there being a loudmouth funny kid that has a very tragic backstory. But I was worried because we already got one of those. But I guess when you think about movies or shows like um, like the miniseries It or, you know, Stand By Me, both Stephen King, uh, there there are a lot of like dark backstories for kids around this time. So maybe oh, yeah. that's I where mean, some Stephen of that King... came from. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Stephen King... Stephen King made his bread and butter on giving, you know, terrible backstories to a bunch of children characters. Yes. <laughs> so I feel like they were influenced by that. They were like, let's start going there. And, you know, because this movie is about playing Nintendo games, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, careful now, be careful. But I felt like they did a good job of not going too far over the edge. But th- those were the only thoughts I had about that. Okay. Yeah. Because I just, but once again, things that you totally don't pick up on as you know as an as a kid that you totally get as an adult because i remember another thing i remember another thing that because i'm not i'm not staring away from the dicey topics in this movie because you you know we had a conversation last night about the fact that she accuses putnam of sexual assault as a way to 
uh, hold him off. And how? Yeah, which I was like, how did she come up with that? Uh, that concerns me. <laughs> like, as an adult, I would be like, I'm worried why her mind went there so quickly. Let's explore that also. Well, um, I kind of thought it had something to do with the fact <laughs> that she grew up in Reno and her yeah, mom and is a just... showgirl and her dad's a uh-huh. truck driver. I feel like she is oh. so she is so worldly. I think right. I'm going to I'm going to use, uh, you know, basically she's mature. She's worldly. She obviously knows how to play craps, you know, right. because she helps <laughs> she helps Spanky, you know, clean up at the craps table. And I feel like that's part of that, because I remember as a kid. I'm 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 gonna be honest here. I was you know I was a I was a innocent little boy. The fact that she would even say the word breast in this movie would kind of make me <laughs> you know turn a little red as I was watching the movie. You're like oh my gosh she's so cool and so much older yeah. Like I think too um, something I noticed as an adult watching this is that when that part happens yeah it put it puts alarm bells off in my mind even though I don't have kids I'm like why why did she say that well we need to know more about that we need to explore that and then also they immediately go after the guy grabbing a kid in an arcade which they should because uh, that's creepy regardless of what his occupation is but also. They don't question the kids further or worry about them. They focus all their attention on him. And I'm like, wouldn't you wonder where these kids came from? Like, you oh, no, no. Oh, no. look into look that. Look at this entire movie. How many? <laughs> I, I want to talk about the fact that in this movie, the kids are just hitchhiking three states. They're buying bus tickets by themselves. <laughs> I mean, like, these days, there would be an uproar against this film. Like, parents would be like, no, you can't put this in theaters. This is going to make kids take crazy bus trips. Like, no way, you know? So it's just funny. Like, that's another sort of product of its time kind of thing where, you know, you're like, oh, it's a movie. It's not real. Of course, it's fine. But now you'd be like, I don't know. I just think it's going to give children ideas, you know, to go on road trips. And uh, it seems dangerous. <laughs> well, it's not even just that. <laughs> I was like, I'm trying to understand this. Like, in the 80s, could you actually do this? Like, I know it was—I know in the fifties and the sixties and stuff, you know, you could like pin a ticket to a kid and put them on the bus or put them on a train, and like you'd make arrangements that like the conductor or the stewardess would like watch out for the kid. I, you know, that was something you did. But the way these kids were moving and how they were buying, like, I was thinking about that one scene when Corey and Jimmy meet Haley in that bus stop, yes. and I'm and I'm sitting here going, <laughs> "Are you really just gonna buy?" sell this kid a bus ticket really is this a thing in the late 80s because if it was okay cool i just didn't do that kind of stuff you know i'd ride my bike right. five miles from my house but i wouldn't jump on a ask to get on a bus to take me two states and just... i know i was it's bizarre and also i think around this time a lot of younger people may not remember but i think in the 80s is when we started hearing about the uh you know, or started hearing about and seeing you know all the milk carton kids right um yes for for people that don't remember this there was and there's a really cool i think it might have been hidden brain it was a podcast i listened to that dove into this and it was very interesting but essentially uh when we were younger you know, there, it was common to say, like, you know, be careful, don't get snatched, you're going to end up on a milk carton. And there was this idea that we could find all these missing children by putting their pictures on milk cartons. In actuality, it did not help people find children, but it did scare parents and children 
very badly and create a lot of hysteria and fear around children being kidnapped. <laughs> and so it actually didn't end up being a good thing in the end. Uh, but yeah, that t to me, because that was happening when I was growing up, the concept of, you know, going and just buying a bus ticket, I, I would hope that at that time, people would be a little more self-aware and would say, hmm, there's a child here buying a bus ticket. This seems like a red flag. This child is running from something, uh, is perhaps in danger. I should probably call the police or CPS or something. <laughs> but yeah, in the movie, nobody is concerned about that. And in fact, uh, that creepy bounty hunter dude asks where um, one of the kids is at one point. Or he grabs a kid and he's like yelling at him. I need your little brother. Da, 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 da. And then he lets him go. And then a woman comes up and goes, your son's inside. And me and Nick were like, did you not just hear that exchange? Like, wouldn't this oh, put yeah, off alarm bells the casino in your mind? Where he sees yeah. Corey yes. and she tells him that <laughs> like, it tells him that Jimmy's in the arcade. I mean, yeah, oh it's my like, gosh. Um, <laughs> I do feel like we do put more of an emphasis these days, though, on, like, listening to children, so that could have played into it, too, but also, yeah, I think it's a movie and probably, like, a, a kid fear that, you know, that that would happen, that adults wouldn't listen to you and that, that something like this would happen, but I don't know. I guess we need to ask our parents and say, like, was this happening? Were you letting children buy bus tickets? We have to find, we have to find out, I think. <laughs> <laughs> these are the questions we are asking. <laughs> yeah, like, we need to investigate I this. Well, and this just goes into like an 80s trope of where are these kids' parents? <laughs> None of these kids yeah. have parents because they just seem right. to be everywhere doing anything. And it's 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 almost like the outsiders. <laughs> I'm just right. Where is everyone's parents? Yeah, it reminds me of like Adventures in Babysitting, you know, just all the movies where um, kids were just running all over town and zero supervision. So I do one last thing because I we have talked a little bit about this probably talked more about this movie than this movie <laughs> actually warrants but I don't care <laughs> that's fine but but I do have to laugh at the climax of this movie how they can turn watching three kids play Super Mario Brothers three and try to play it with as much dramatic tension as they do at the end of this movie. I kind of have, as a kid, I was all in. I was, I was right. sold. But as an adult, I am watching this movie going, this is really kind of funny watching everyone cheer on these three kids playing the really dramatic movie music. Even when the reveal happens with the really dramatic reveal and all you hear is the theme music from Super Mario Brothers 3. <laughs> just like, the juxtaposition here is really weird. I also, it did make me think about the fact that, okay, so like earlier this year, uh, I have a friend who's a little bit younger than me. Not, I, I mean, you know, a little bit younger. But she was like, she asked me, she was like, are you into esports? And I'm like, do what now? And she was like, you know, esports. And I'm just going to admit to you, at my age, I was really surprised by how important gaming is and, like, specifically people in college playing games. I had no idea. So it's, like, funny, like, in this movie, and for people our age, we're like, this is crazy. Like, there's no way that Mario Brothers would be this important. I mean, it's important to a child, but, like, you're right. The, the uh, climax of the movie seems like too big of a deal. But I feel like now, maybe not. Because, <laughs> you know, esports are huge now. Well, I would, I mean, I would, the thing, though, is that 
I remember the video game competitions. I mean, you got to remember, because it kind of gets undercut in this movie, and it turns out that it's actually in those deleted scenes. It was kind of funny. I actually wrote a note. No one seems to acknowledge the prize money at the end. Because remember, the whole point is, is that <laughs> Jimmy's supposed to win $50,000 by, oh, by right, winning this. right. And that seems to get undercut because it really isn't about the money. And that's kind of the fun part is that it's not about the money for Corey and Jimmy. It's about proving that Jimmy doesn't need to be in a home. It's like right. he can engage. He can do something. He doesn't deserve to be in a hand. Like he doesn't deserve to be labeled as handicap. And I kind of yeah. like that the movie focused on that and not about, oh, we're going to this video game competition to win a money to win the money because there is actually a deleted scene about them getting the check. And so I was like, oh, they at least shot it. They just decided to cut it out. <laughs> yeah, it's like it was the journey, not the destination, I guess. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I did forget about the prize money. Um, that's a good point. And then I also thought it was it felt like a coincidence that um, that Lucas character. Um, I, I know that he's rich and his parents took him to California and he was going to that. But that also felt. Like, I don't know, it's like uh, a lot of, like, uh, happenstance in the movie <laughs> that you, isn't any good kids movie, you know, where they oh, yeah. well, tangle no, with him later, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's not only just happenstance, it's also, like, the, the the big bad kid who has, like, the min like, he's 13 and has minions. Yeah, you know? it's like, that's true. Go get I love that. Go, go get me a burger. <laughs> totally feels like, who's the who's the really... Who's the really evil kid in It? I'm trying to remember his name, but it totally reminded me of that character. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character? Oh, I see, and it's been so long, and I'm thinking about, like, the new movies that oh, just came one. out. Oh, the new one. I yeah, can't but the remember one who, like, his name. They actually yeah. made you feel bad for him in the new one, but in the old one, you were just like, no. <laughs> no, no. But, you know, that, you know, he, he, he has minions. Go get me a burger. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. His power glove comes in a Halliburton case. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's these ridiculous things, which it was so funny. Like, yes, this movie is product placement central, and I'm not going to deny that at all. Absolutely not. It was showing you games. It, I, I'm wondering if the power glove had just come out because I never had right. a power glove. That was something no that one I had never a power had. Glove. Everyone yeah. in the chat was like, I have a cousin that has one. I'm like, Everyone's got this mysterious cousin out there who's got the power glove. Let's see it. Because <laughs> it's like, it felt very elusive at that time. Oh, absolutely. And that line, that line that Lucas says, I love the power glove. I love the power glove. It's so bad. <laughs> I'm just like, I remember that line. <laughs> there, There's dialogue in this movie that made me cringe when I was eight. That and Corey making the Zelda reference on the top of Haley's, you know, mobile home like those were things that even as a oh, kid gosh. i was like no this is this is just cringe worthy even when you're eight <laughs> that is hilarious so yeah that i mean that's it i mean like i said it's <laughs> the movie the movie is the movie as a movie is nothing special but i love this movie because i was that generation i was one of those kids in this movie because yeah. I was that age when this movie came out, and all the stuff I've talked around the movie about right. is why the movie has such sentimentality to me, which is why it has achieved this cult classic. Because for mm -hmm. us, 
you know, what, you know, I, I, I don't say I'm a millennial, but I'm not Generation X. I'm that weird. I'm that weird little mini generation in between, like yeah. 79 to 83. Right, right, right. You know, that uh, I think they call I think they like to call us zennials. But we were that. <laughs> but we were that age. Like we're the target of this movie mm-hmm. when we were that age, and I can love it for being that and for right. being this little slice of like my boys want, uh, walked in. At the very end, because I was trying to keep them away, because there's some language in this movie. I mean, I was eight watching oh, this movie, sure. and and I'm sitting here going, "Yep, this is one of those '80s PG kids movies where I would never let my kid watch a movie that had the words that are in this movie." But somehow, when I was the kid, it was perfectly fine. And... Y'all, there were PG movies with boobs. Okay, like <laughs> it was a different era. All right, so yeah, I get it. <laughs> but it was kind of funny when my boys walked in at the end, and they're like, "Oh, is that a?" Mario Brothers? I was like, yes, yeah, yes. And my, you know, my oldest is seven, just turned seven. And he's like, Aww. what is that? I was like, oh, the Super Mario Brothers 3. He's like, that's a Super Mario Maker 2. I was like, yeah, yes, yes, it is, son. But when I was your age, daddy played this game. <laughs> his, his head's probably like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it actually wasn't, it wasn't really mind exploit as much as it was like, huh, okay, back to his game. <laughs> it's just like, okay, whatever. I know. Most, I, I, it was funny. Like we were at uh, free play. Uh, do you guys have that in your in your <sighs> state? No, it, I don't. Yeah, think we do. It's basically, um, you know, it, it's a whole bar that's really aimed more towards people our age, but it's full of arcade games. And free play is probably the best one, at least here in uh, our area, that has like all the the best games in it, the ones that you remember. And you just pay like 10 bucks or whatever, and you can play whatever you want for as long as you want. Um, they also have food and drinks. Um, but the last time and, we were and, there, and I think... where we live, that's basically, that's what Dave and Buster's is. Oh, okay. So it's like Dave and Buster's, except erase everything except that it's old school games. It's like literally like watching, you know, Stranger Things. It's that level of nostalgia. <sighs> Oh, I oh oh you you're, you're speaking to my soul, Lisa. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But like we had we went to a birthday party and you know, my friend was turning 40 uh and you know, so at this age like everyone's bringing their kids and it was funny watching, you know, the children were having fun too, but I thought about explaining like, "Hey, you know the technology that's like in your phone? Well, you know, you can pay $10 and play this giant cabinet that only has one game on it." Does that sound exciting to you? You know, it's like, it's such a weird disconnect, but I think it's become popular recently because of Stranger Things, you know? And so kids are like, oh, they're like interested in arcades again. Um, and they found this kind of niche market of people that are interested uh, in, in gaming like that again. But yeah, it's very fun. If you ever are in an area like ours, you should definitely check it out. Yeah, it, it's so weird to me that my phone can have better graphics, better technology in yeah. my pocket <laughs> than was in a freaking cabinet that was taller than I am. <laughs> right. And there was a time when I was like, you know, we used to watch like MTV Cribs and, you know, somebody would bu- have all these cabinets in their home. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. And now it's like, who would want that? They're so big and bulky. Like, they're hard to maintain because, you know, even at these arcade places, like they, they are the originals. It's not like there's not a whole lot of people making new ones, you know, so like they're the OG difficult uh, 
you know, video games. So uh, it's just funny. Yeah, it's, it's such a, a big difference. Um, but yeah, I like, you kind of answered my question already about why you like this movie, why you've seen it so many times. Uh, what is your elevator pitch to someone that hasn't seen this particular movie before? Really, it's, <laughs> did you play Nintendo as a kid? Watch this movie. This is a love letter to your childhood. Like that, I mean, yeah. cause, because I would not, this is, I think we were having, we were having this conversation off air before we started recording, but I'm realistic about what this movie is. And it's like, <laughs> what? and, and it's, and I'm not going to try to tell you, you should love something that I love just because I love it. No. If you are of an age that you played old school Nintendo in the eighties, this and you and you look at and you remember that time either nostalgically or fondly, then this movie is for you. This movie mm -hmm. is a you were this kid, yeah. and that's what that movie can do. If I'm sorry, I'm not recommending this movie to anybody <laughs> who was born any later than 1985 because yeah. they won't get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and I will say, you know, in defense of this movie and possibly a controversial statement for our younger listeners, I don't think that the product placement or commercial aspect of this movie is as egregious as films like Space Jam. So I think it's a little bit of a step above that. I'm not discouraging anyone from picking Space Jam, but that movie's a commercial. <laughs> you know, Very true. there I'm is... Not nothing to that movie there there's no substance you have to have grown up at a specific time and there is a disconnect between people my age and people about 10 years younger than me that adore space jam and i'm like y'all what but it, it's funny and i feel like I, I do want someone to pick it because i think it would create an interesting dynamic and obviously i won't crap on it so someone pick that <laughs> but yeah that's my elevator pitch it's just like if 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 you were that age, this movie will remind you what it was like when you were seven, eight, or nine. And right. if I like you that weren't, answer. and if you weren't seven, eight, or nine, if you were, if you're old enough to be the adults in this movie, or you're younger than us, I wouldn't. I actually wouldn't even recommend it. I was like, no, <laughs> you won't. You won't get out of it what someone our age gets out of it. I agree. I completely agree with you. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming back on. And thank you for picking a lighthearted, happy movie that we could talk about oh, <laughs> during these yeah, dark times it. we need it. <laughs> well, I hey, you and I were talking online yesterday because even I had a really rough day yesterday. And this movie yeah. really did make like this movie was medicine. It made me I love it, that. it did its job today. That's good. I, I've definitely had those days myself. I think all of us are, which is why we're trying to keep on the positivity train. We will talk about, you know, your uh, darker, grittier films. You guys know I love those. But right now, we just need to smile a little bit. So I really do appreciate that. And I still think we should talk about your other pick next time. I know. Absolutely. Because that'll make you <laughs> smile. And it's still, yeah. and I'm still on the 80s train with that one. Guys, Please I'm sorry. Stay there. I, I was born in 1982. I have a lot of 80s train left in me. <laughs> right. Nope. I'm all here for it. Well, thanks so much, Scott. And uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ScottDC27. You can find my podcast at, at DC Film Squadcast or at our website, squadcastmedia.com. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And guys, if you're listening to this and you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate our podcast. It does help new listeners find us. Uh, But thank you, Scott, and uh, talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, Lisa.